0: Hi, friends. Welcome to another episode of That Sounds Fun. I'm your host, Annie Downs. So happy to be here with you today. I hope you have enjoyed the last couple of shows. Mother's Day, Graduates, we're thinking about you guys. So if you haven't shared those with the people that you love in your life, go ahead and do that. Hey, the music in the background for the last week is our good buddy, Mr. John McLaughlin. His new album is called Angst and Grace. Make sure you grab a copy of that Today on the show is one of my very favorite friends. I cannot believe she hasn't been here yet. It'll be the first, but not the last time she's on the show. Margaret Feinberg. Many of you love her writing already, I know. And probably a handful of you have been a part of her and Jonathan Merritt's writing classes and groups and resources through Write Brilliant. But Margaret had a new book come out just recently called Taste and See, all about um, the beauty of some of the foods in the Bible. I think you are going to love this conversation. A little uh, heads up, this isn't the easiest topic for me, as you guys who know my story know that me and food don't always get along, and so probably my filter's a little lower than I wish it was about this one, so I just want to give you a heads up about that, probably out of my own shame that I'll have to deal with later. But here is my conversation with author of Taste and See, one of my favorite friends and writers, Margaret Feinberg. I see people tagging your book all the time.
1: People pull quotes of yours all the time. Do you love it? I love it. It's, it's amazing. It's so fun, right? Well, yeah. And I mean, who doesn't love to talk about food? Right. And spirituality and faith. I mean, they just it's hand in hand since yes. the beginning, all the things. Yes. And it's really and it's delicious and it's fun. And that's right. what I love, right? Yes. Like at the end of the day, I think that when we open the scripture, when we dive into God's word, like it should be a ball. Right. I mean, of course, seven talks to seven. We Yeah, were, yeah, 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 yeah. Two group sevens
0: are like, how do you have fun? Read the Bible? Okay. <laughs> I'm in.
1: Um, okay. You were telling me that you took a couple of months off last year. I did. It was uh, about four months and just— uh, And stayed home? Traveled some. Traveled some for our own life-giving. I As a 7, of course, I love travel. Uh, An airline ticket is my catnip. Yeah, right. I go cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs if I can get on a plane and go see something new. New people, all the fun, all the food, all the architecture. Just – nourishes my soul. So yes. we did travel. Yeah. But those four months off of, you know, speaking and, and that kind of being on the road, it was life-giving. And for me and my husband, you know, being part of our church community, he he planted a campus yeah, uh, in Park City, Utah. And so just being there, being with our people, it is, it's awesome.
0: You know, because I'm getting ready to do that. I'm about to be the back half of this year. I won't be traveling. How did you balance wanting to go back out on the road? Did it energize you to go back out? Did it make you uh, prepare me for what I'm going to (laughs) feel at the end of having half a year off the road?
1: Yeah, I think for you, because I think your commitment is slightly different in that you are literally off the road. Yeah, I I think so. I mean, even for, you know, you're not traveling hardly at all. And so I think a couple things. One, I am so excited for you because your well is going Mm -hmm. to just not just rise but overflow in the most beautiful, rich ways in thought and in word and in deed and in groundedness and in joy. There there is something about um, the act of not doing Mm. that is so filling and gives space for God to really fill in the most beautiful ways. And then just, I think the details you're going to notice about being at home and the little joys. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's what I'm looking forward to. I'm still going to do, like, I'm still going to be working. I'll still, I'll write books. I'll do the podcast. I'm just taking that third part of my job. I'm just Sabbathing from that versus the whole job. But I do feel this, like, there's something to it.
1: There were things that I did that were just, I just noticed details. So for instance, uh, for me, one of the grounding things, okay, so if, when I come off of a trip, my husband and I are really intentional. The first thing we do is we dig into our community, meaning I don't wait for people to call me yes. to go to dinner or lunch. I'm the one, we come home and we're reaching out to multiple friends and saying, let's spend time together. Yes. Uh, so no, oh, oh, poor me. Oh, nobody knows. Oh, you know, just dive right in, go How'd after How'd you learn it. to do that? Because for a while, early in my career, I would come home and be like, Nobody knows I'm back, and I don't. I feel like I don't have many friends, and I'm kind of feeling lonely. And I was like, "Wait a second, yeah. I can fix all of this yes. with about five texts. Yes. So let's do it."
0: You're like, literally, no one knows I'm back because I did not tell them. <laughs> so now, that I, yeah, I went through the same thing a little bit. That's why I was wondering if you'd. I had the experience where I would come home and be like. Well, of course nobody's texting you, Annie. You put on Instagram that you were in Chicago this morning. They don't know that you went to the airport right after that. Right.
1: And so we have – it's not just the adults that we have relationship and friendships with, but also kids. And so like Lucas and Carter, like making space. Like I was like – we, you know, they brought over some art, and so I framed it and put it on our wall. So when you walk in our home, that's the first thing you see. And I'm like, the next time you have a piece of art, we're going to switch it out in the frames. And so just little details that are – that are true life and are yes. true, grounding, simple, beautiful acts.
0: Yes. Oh, I can't wait. We're so – I mean, we know this already, but we're so similar. And I'm like, yeah, I have a picture. I mean, here on the wall, I have a picture from one of my best my, – I call him my mini BFFs. That he drew that for me, uh, for Theater of the Minds for the People. It is a picture of me uh, in the bottom corner. The yellow circles are oh. me. And the big purple circle with the little purple circles is a soccer ball.
1: Awesome. I thought it it's was a, an asteroid on fire. It
0: does look like an asteroid on fire, but it's me and in my in my blue eyes and my in my red shirt and a massive soccer ball. and But it's the same of like, man, these how you invest in kids connected with road life is something I really want to, even though they're not my children yet, I really want to figure out um, how to do that well, how they understand. But I, I guess in Nashville, it's a little bit easier because so many people on the road in Park City, you're probably one of the few who travels as much as you do. You'd
1: be surprised. That's oh, one of the really? things that I love about our community is that most of the people are on the road a ton. For what? Uh, for all kinds of professional okay. jobs. Uh, even, you know, the top CEOs, m- many um, highly successful people live there because yeah. it is so beautiful and so outdoorsy and so wonderful. And 25 minutes to the Salt Lake City International Airport. Sure, there you go. So okay. it is not uncommon. And so what I find is, you know, I used to live in Colorado before we moved there for life yeah. to plant the campus and people, you know, couldn't keep up with the schedule. I can't keep up with my schedule sometimes, but in, in Park City, everybody's like, oh, you're coming home on Friday. I'm like, how do you know that? How do you know I'm in Nashville right now? Yeah. What is happening? Oh, that's So really it's actually sweet. a norm like yeah. this, which is really, and you know that when people get it, because th- we've lived seasons in life when people say, oh, you know, you're not going to be here for this barbecue and then the next weekend and the next weekend, and they just check out. They, they don't yeah. have that space in their life maybe to engage in that kind of relationship or friendship. Yeah. And where we are now, people don't even miss a blink because they're- wow. Traveling and going, to
0: Oh, that's brilliant. That's kind of your friends to care that much about your calendar. Yeah. My friends who care that much about my calendar, I think, are super
1: special to me. Yeah. Yeah. I
0: get that. Do your friends read your books? Uh, they do.
1: Yeah. They do, which is um so classic. I don't know if you have this issue. Uh-huh. Uh, my best friends will read my books and be like, I had no idea that was going on in your life. Oh,
0: yes, Margaret. Yes. <laughs> Is that a seven thing? It must be. Yeah, because what they're reading is our pain points. And we're not talking about that on a daily no. basis.
1: Right. And the other thing That's is, hysterical. I think I hide from my pain point so much that it's not that I'm not telling you. Like, it's not like I can identify my pain point and I'm not telling you. I literally cannot find the words. Yes. I cannot even process enough to get yeah. the syllables out of my mouth yes. to explain what's happening.
0: I, uh, it's hysterical. Uh, you know, my three best friends from Atlanta that we talk all the time, we made a rule probably maybe five or six years ago, a few books ago. And they said, we really don't want to learn things from books. Mm. We want to learn things from you. And so I, I make, an, make a point now of going, oh, I could write about this someday. I should probably make sure. Yeah. Or before a book comes out, I'm like, let me tell you four stories that you're going to read <laughs> that I think. But but uh, But I think there's a permission that you seem to have granted your people and yourself as well this permission that like I'm going to learn how to do this job and it's going to adjust as I go. Yeah,
1: it does. It has to be flexible. You have to be willing to grow. And and I think that's part of our faith journey as well. Mm. You know, these are interconnected. It's that sense of – Cruciformity, that in the end, the goal is to reflect and look like him. And so, if that's going to happen, that's going to take a lot of back steps in order to readjust, to recognize that in some ways, what we do, there's a toxicity to it. Mm. There's a toxicity to being on the road too much, to stages, to um, being in a public eye. There's something that, that is that is a low-grade toxicity. And so finding the places where you can detox from those things yes. is crucial. It's
0: one of the reasons I always travel with a person, because yes. they are my detox. you know like it, the, whoever is with me, whoever's tour managing, if I've had the best experience on stage ever, And I come off, and I've just—it was a home run. They go like, "Yeah, okay, that was that was really good. Let's go see a movie." Like, "Okay, so what? I've been with you fourteen times." Okay, or if I have the worst one, they go, "Yeah, so what? You know, like you'll do it again." And it detoxes that out of me. Absolutely. Yeah, I feel that.
1: Talk about traveling with your dog. Ah! I love that part of your life. Oh my goodness! So I've traveled with my dog. I think since like two thousand and five. Really. So everybody's like, "Is Hershey still alive?" Yes. Yeah, this is a dog check-in. That's why we're all here. I know, right? I was like, so if I get another dog, this is the other thing. Like he's fourteen, so yeah. you know, we're getting to the point of you know there will be a point of no return. And then I'm like, do I do I give him another dog a different name or do I just call him Hershey 2.0? Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Do you know, I just take Hershey with me? <laughs> but that was part of our grounding. You know, for eight years, my husband and I traveled together. We worked together full time uh, yeah. since you know before he planted this campus in Utah, and so. You know, when we were spending sometimes a couple hundred days a year on the road, when you wake up in a foreign hotel and you look over and you see your husband and your dog, the whole world is okay. Yeah. Because you have your, we called it our pack. Yeah, that's really sweet. And so everybody's just together and it makes it better. Yeah. yeah. And it makes it grounding and it makes it, um, but now that he, he has the campus job, he travels some, but mm-hmm. so much less. Mm-hmm. And so learning to be more intentional about the events that we do go to is really crucial. As we're
0: planning 2020 travel and speaking, we're doing it a little bit differently, buses and more of that kind of stuff, because being unmarried, I'm like, I've got to start bringing some home with me more and not just one person, but like, let's bring a couple of people from home with me as employees or as friends or whatever. If I'm going to keep being on the road at a pace, I just want more home with me. Yeah.
1: You know, we've been asking the question for the last 15 years or so, but how... How do we do this in such a way that we will still be thriving and flourishing in 20 years? And so what are those Yeah, what are the answers? To put into place? Um, For a while, it was traveling with my husband and my dog. Yeah. You know, a simple thing, a puppy, but that just made such a significant difference. Um, I think really taking care of a, a spotlight on the soul and how you're doing and how much toxicity is too much. So for instance, I just... Uh, finished a stint where I was at uh, uh, you know incredible conferences Q conference Thrive conference Century leadership amazing events but if a gathering life. you were such a home run at oh, if oh my I'm gosh so I loved it I love Jenny Allen I she know. is all things amazing I agree but eleven days on the road I came back and it, and it was just a pinch in time it's not what we normally do but I came back and I said you know what that is not healthy for me. Mm. And so we I cannot do that. I used to be able to do that but I can't do that anymore. Yes. And so so those checks to go no, I don't do that. I have others. I do not speak or travel um, on my birthday. Oh right really? I used to do that for a number of years early yes. on. I do When's not your birthday? do that. March 10th. Okay. We just know. missed it. Sorry. Happy birthday. Thanks. Um, but like little things like that where you're like, I don't feel – that didn't feel right. That didn't feel life-giving because yeah. at the end of the day, what I want to do and I think what you want to do is serve and love out of a place of joy and fullness. Yes. And I've spent years where I felt like I was serving like a dirty used Kleenex. huh. I don't want to live that life. Yeah. That's not the life that Christ is calling us to. And so how do we walk into events and situations and scenarios? and podcasts and all of these things full of joy and life and the presence of the Holy Spirit.
0: So for the our friends that are listening, the men and women, they have a job in the home or out of the home. And how did they start identifying? How do you find the things that make you be able to thrive in whatever job you're in, in the home or out of the home in 20 years?
1: Yeah, I think one of the things, and this goes for all creative, and, and as you think about your job in your life, is to notice your own soul rhythms. Mm. So for instance, in a given week, for me, my most creative life-giving days are after I have a weekend off. It's going to be Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday in descending order. And so, if you have those creative spots, if you have those moments where maybe, perhaps, it's it just it's you're a little bit more full of energy. It's easier for you uh-huh. to pray. It's easier for you to connect with God. Identify those places and those times, and as much as you can, recalibrate some of your activities toward those stronger days.
0: Oh, of course. So, you, so if you're a stay-at-home mom. And you have tons of energy on Tuesdays because that's when all the kids are at school. Recalibrate your week to put the things you need to on that Tuesday. Absolutely. And the things that are Brilliant. life-giving. I Brilliant. mean, those may
1: be the things of exercise. Those may be, you know, uh, taking some time just to sit in a bubble bath. Those yeah. may be the things. But but fill up your soul when your soul is naturally going to be primed to be most full.
0: Yes. 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 And so, I I mean, I even think of like pastors who are listening, who write their sermons, like Pastor Kevin here on Mondays. No, even though he preached on Sundays, he has the most energy toward the next week on Monday. He takes that whole day and writes. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you're brilliant. I'm not brilliant. Yes, you are. I already knew that. I think that is such an interesting, I think maybe what I love hearing you say is everyone has permission to figure out in their own lives when and how they
1: use their time best. Absolutely. And have the grace day. Like, if you know you are wiped out and you do not want to face laundry on Sunday, stop facing laundry on Sunday. <laughs> That's right. Do you know? I mean, fine. It, and maybe you pop it in Tuesday morning. Or yes. maybe you... But it's funny how these tiny little recalibrations in our life can yield such huge results.
0: And that we are living under rules that nobody made. <laughs> Who says you have to do laundry on Sundays? Do it on Tuesday. Y'all will be fine. Right. right. Right.
1: And sometimes you just need to go buy another 8 or 12 pack at Target. Yes. And just let it roll.
0: Yeah, that's right. That's
1: right. <laughs> I Yesterday,
0: I went through a stack of uh, V-neck t-shirts because it's kind of my uniform. And there's a handful of them that have holes in them. And I was like, just throw them away. You are not going to sew them up. And you you just keep wearing them be- and you look ridiculous because you have holes in your shirt. They aren't cool
1: throw them away. But you just, ha- sometimes you have to yeah. let yourself break out of rhythms and, that you've found yourself in. Yeah. And that's Marie Kondo. You know, like yeah. I did a little Marie on my house and still working on it because it yeah. takes forever, yes. but it feels it feels clean and it feels good. Yes, It's just to, just to declutter, to get rid of and to say, you know what, the things in my house are things that I love and that I'm using and yeah. that the rest can kind of go.
0: Speaking of rest, tell me how you feel about resting. Do you take a mm-hmm. Sabbath every
1: week? Do you and Leif have a Pa- uh, rhythm of that or what does it look like yeah usually so our church service is at 445 on a Saturday which is so fun yeah because everybody comes off the ski area and off of hiking all day and comes to church which is so fun um, so often we we will take uh, his day off is Sunday or is Monday uh-huh. and Sunday and so we will we will Work together to try to get a day off together, Mm -hmm. and I'll be honest. Like on those days, it's it's napping, it's Netflix. Uh, It all starts with the letter N. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. (laughs) All the fun things. (laughs) Um, In and just trying to rest. But sometimes it's two half days. Yeah. Sometimes all we can wrangle is you know a third of a day here and a third here, Mm -hmm. and maybe we only get two thirds of a day. But but I know that I am my best self when I you know, track down that rest.
0: Yes. Jeff Bethke says, if you try to Sabbath and it doesn't go well, you don't cancel future Sabbaths. Just like if you try to, if Christmas doesn't go well, it doesn't mean Christmas doesn't come the next year. You just do it again. Yeah, And so the adjustment of we have to this week we couldn't get on the same schedule next week we will totally just letting people find that yeah
1: and be creative I mean after the 11 days I took uh, two and a half days off yeah because it was just it was a so. lot and just did nothing yeah and it was glorious <laughs> yeah what do your nothings look like Mine uh, our nothings actually look like spending time with people we, okay. love, we love humans yeah. and so it means having people over going over and spending time it means usually eating my husband is an incredible cook hashtag taste and see yeah I uh, say. so grilling um, he smokes me. It's amazing. We have f- we have four grills or smokers in our backyard. <gasps> it's a little out of control. Oh,
0: that's amazing.
1: Yeah, we're like a grill hoarding family. Yes. So, what are do you have like a green egg? Uh, no, we no. have. Uh, it's from Cabela's. One of our huge tall smokers. Then we have the the one that uses the pellets. Uh-huh. Uh huh. Traeger. And then uh, one that I got off of a uh, Nextdoor app for free, which yes. I'm very proud of. That's yes. my go-to grill. And then we have an electric <laughs> one in case we run out of propane. Yeah. So in all situations, wow. we are ready for you to come How eat with oft- us. Yeah.
0: How often are y'all using the grills? I mean, you almost use them all the time. Uh,
1: we, we use them probably three or four days a week. I try to get off of meat as much as possible after writing Taste and See, but I – uh, because I became more aware of if, of meat, where it comes from, what that looks like. I've been more intentional about the meat that we do eat. And yeah. I just think it's great to have several nights a week that are just vegetable-based. Yes. Yeah. I just think it's life-giving and beautiful yeah. and delicious. The
0: way I like to say it now is I have a plant-based diet where I just eat more plants. I've noticed especially brain health as I'm working a lot to restore my brain to what it was before my migraine season – Vegetables help with my brain. Yeah. If I eat something green every day, my brain is in better shape. Did
1: you figure that when you were researching, when you were writing Taste yeah. and See? Um, well, during writing Taste and See, I put on 15 glorious pounds. You are lying to me. I ate my way through those foods in the Bible. Yes, girl. It was amazing. <laughs> uh, so we've been doing a little keto lately, just uh-huh. kind of shed some of that back off, which is – I don't think I'm making a huge dent, but I do find on the keto diet, my brain is clear. Um, mm. I f- find that I'm sleeping less, but sleeping more intensely. It's been a really oh, wow. sweet journey. But I think it's fascinating what you said. And that is that idea that, um, that the internet comes back on you when you have a cinnamon roll. And how often food is a place of judgment Yeah, and judginess. When Why I, do we do that? I do it too. Yeah, I mean, well, I, 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 you can't do that. Yeah, yeah, it slips into our lives. Yes, and I think remembering that the table was always meant to be a place of grace
0: mm.
1: and of giving and of generosity and of recognition of a very good God who mm. spun the sun and hung the stars and fashioned the seasons that we would be able to pick up a strawberry and bite into that deliciousness, and and that that is the joy that we should come, I think, with with to the table and also with food. Yeah. I, in general, is a place of gratitude, you know. Even in each other, I, I struggle with with gluten and breads. But there are times that I sit down and I know it's going to hurt, and I do not care. Right, I'm going to bite into that lovely hot butter melts in. Uh-huh. Uh-huh, yeah, mm-hmm. but yeah,
0: there's times where you just go, "This is too beautiful not to taste." Yes. Unless you have an out, like I can't eat ice cream, no matter how beautiful it is. It will you will have to epipen me in the leg. Right. But cinnamon bread or these other things, you just go like, this is so beautiful. It's so yummy. How would I not taste it's it? So yummy. Yeah, yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong. I feel like the last book of yours I read before Taste and See was about gardens. Oh, Flourish. Yes. So fun. That so, beautiful
1: 52 week devotional. Yes,
0: that's what it was. Yes. It was a devotional. What is it about you and nature? What pulls mm. you back to
1: what the earth offers mm. that makes you connect with it in a way that you want to write about it? You know, I was raised by free-spirited family uh, parents who moved around a ton, and Hippies. so kind of, yep, yeah. I, but I like my it. mom will get very angry if you use that okay, word. Okay, I won't. Use I that once word. used it in a sermon, and she came up to me afterwards. and She goes, "I was not a hippie." And I was like, <laughs> <laughs> okay, mom. Okay. And one of the things they always did. Uh, I was born in uh, Cocoa Beach, Florida. Okay. So dad, huge in the surfing industry, uh, about eight years old, moved to Maggie Valley, North Carolina. Oh, it's
0: beautiful. I love Maggie Gorgeous. Valley. Yeah.
1: And then one winter when I was in third grade, they woke up and said, hey, we want to we go be ski instructors at a real mountain out west. So we hopped in the car and drove to Colorado, s- rented a place sight unseen in Steamboat Springs and ended up graduating from high school there. Yeah. And so basically wherever my parents have lived, it's always been incredibly beautiful. They will own the tiniest shack. If the view is incredible. Mm. And so I grew up uh you know with parents who were surfing, who were boating, who were planting their own gardens off the grid. We had in our house in North Carolina, we we had we had generators, we were completely off the grid with all of our food supply, water, everything if we needed to be. Oh my gosh. I'm- How cool.
0: They Crazy were like um,
1: preppers before preppers was a thing. <laughs> oh, we were definitely prepping. We had a bomb shelter. We had a bomb shelter. Oh, so they were in the preppers. 80s. Oh, yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. I still need some therapy for that. Not but. hippies, but preppers. It's different. <laughs> And so growing up with that, it just created this this awareness of creation and appreciation and celebration of nature and picking blackberries and having them drip down your chin. Yeah. And going out for blueberry season and eating wild game and catching, you know, my on my eighth birthday. I, I shot I shot my first lobster. That was my big accomplishment. wait. Do you shoot lobsters? You do. In the Bahamas, you cannot grab them. You actually have to have um it's it's a Hawaiian sling
0: uh-huh.
1: and you, you cannot have a tank. Because a tank, uh, to take, f- you can't take food out of the sea with a tank because that gives us an unfair advantage to the ocean and all of its all of the life that's in there. And so you have a snorkel and you go down and you pull back this Hawaiian sling. It's like long rubber. Underwater. Underwater <gasps> with a, with a metal spear and then you shoot the lobster and then you bring them up to the surface, and then you cook them, and you have the most incredible meal. Yes. Back to the butter from Dollywood. I was about Dripping. to say, do you leave all the Dripping. greens
0: inside of the lobster? Because I did not know that happened <gasps> until I got to Maine, and we had a lobster, and they brought it to the table, and I was like, it still has all its guts. <laughs> <laughs> What's happening? <laughs> ew. It's ew, yeah. I don't eat that. Some people do. Ew. No, I don't like it. It's so then, so you just always had this real up-close connection with the food that the earth provided. Absolutely. Made from a plant, not made in a plant kind of stuff. Yep. Yeah. So when you decide to write Taste and See, this is one of my favorite kinds of books where you give us essays that are just... If people haven't read you, which I'm sure is few and far between, if people haven't read you, you are just like a, um, a song when you write essays. They are so... Flow and beautiful, but then you also put in recipes. So fun. Yeah. What even made you start this book? Why was this
1: the right next book? You know, uh, about 10 years ago, I wrote a book called Scouting the Divine My Search for God Among uh, Wine, Wool, and Wild Honey. Yes. And I went out and I spent time with farmers, uh, beekeepers, grape growers, and um, shepherds and open up the scripture and asked, how do you read these passages not as theologians but in light of what you do every day? And their answers changed the way that I read the Bible forever. Really? Time and time again, I found myself asking, how have I grown up in the church? How have I listened to so many sermons, so many podcasts, and nobody has told me these things? Yes. Well, I finished up the book and I literally had people come up to me over and over again saying, why did you not spend time with an olive grower? Oh, I know, of all the things. They're like, we love everything you did. Why not the olive? And I thought, you're right. I the time, I didn't have enough time and space to do that. <laughs> you're like, you going to pay for that? Yeah, You're exactly, going to pay for exactly me to right, go to yeah. Israel? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. By the way, the publisher is not paying for these trips. We yeah. are paying for them. No so I've sat on this idea of this book for 10 years. Oh and God. I actually had an intervention from our friends, Jonathan Merritt. Yes. And my friend Carolyn. And it had been about four years since I'd written a book because the last book was Fight Back with Joy about my battle with cancer. That's right. And I just... I didn't want to write it. It was so painful. I didn't want to do it. And they said, Margaret, if you want to be a writer, you have to write. And I was like... And, um,
0: so Jonathan's if, like, if you're going to lead writing classes with me, I need you to keep writing books. <laughs> right.
1: Literally. I was like, oh, the interventions for Jonathan. Nope. Nope. No. It's for you. It's for you. I'm like, oh, me on, me on. That's how good interventions go. The person does not know it's about them until it's already started. So, yeah. So, so I thought, okay, what are, what, I didn't even realize the first summer I was scouting that I was really looking at food in the Bible. Did I just, I thought agrarian, agriculture, not clean, yeah. like food. And so I, I realized, I thought, what foods do I want to look at in the Bible? And so identified six and then sat down the out the people who plant, procure, and process them. Wow! I went to Israel to fish in the Galilee. I brought in an olive harvest in Croatia. I plucked figs with the premier fig farmer in the United States. I love the fig chapter. I I I called up the head of the divinity school at Yale, and he happens to be an expert on ancient grains. I cold called him. Oh my gosh. You
0: did? You just cold called him. him.
1: I was like, hi, my name is Margaret. I'm writing about bread in the Bible. Uh, Would it be okay if I came to your uh, house and we bake bread together for an afternoon? Get out of here. I know, Margaret. So totally. And he was so gracious um, and even went 410 feet down into a salt mine. And again, with each of these individuals opening up the Bible, looking at these food themes and asking – how do you see these passages, not as theologians, but in light of what you do every so day? So would you
0: say that to them? Would you go read this to me and tell me what this means to you?
1: Yeah, I would open up the scripture. Mm-hmm. And not all these people were, were so Christians. Smart. Right. And so They that, were all Christians. No. No, they were not. No. I love that. Okay. And so okay. that adds just a whole different hue and color and texture. Edo yes. who I go fishing in the Galilee with, he's Jewish. Sure. And so his perspective on food and olive oil and bread is just so radically different. Yes, that is, that's incredible.
0: How'd you pick what recipes went in here? The ones you did with the people?
1: Uh, some of the recipes came from the people who I learned from. Others came from friends who I went to their house and I was like, this is so good. All my people <laughs> need to make this at home. Okay, How do I make that There dish? is Okay, so there's a recipe in there that you can eat that yes. I think would melt your face off good. It is the gluten-free dark chocolate sea salt cookies.
0: Oh, yeah. I
1: that. And you don't have to apologize. They're gluten-free because they're so stinking good. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's so fun.
0: Hey, just interrupting this conversation with Margaret to tell you about our friends over at Samaritan Ministries. You need a way to pay for your health care, and getting health insurance is the system we're used to, but is it the best system? I'm here to tell you there's another way. With Samaritan Ministries, people help each other with health care costs, all without health insurance, and it works. Here's how. As a member, I send my monthly payment directly to another person for their medical bills. Samaritan Ministries just lets me know who to send it to and how I can pray for them specifically. And then when I have a need, like recently with my migraines, the members are there to support me in the same way. I'm not limited to a provider network, so I have the freedom to seek the medical attention that is best for me and my situation without worrying whether it's in the network, which has been really, really helpful. You may not have heard about it before now, but it is tried and true. Samaritan Ministries has been successfully sharing healthcare care for the last 25 years and now shares around $28 million in medical bills each month. That's insane. Healthcare sharing with Samaritan Ministries not only provides health care when I have a medical concern, but also allows me to directly connect with other members in need. As I said, I've been going through my own health journey dealing with migraines and connecting directly with another member who might also be dealing with chronic pain. I can share how God has been faithful to me through my experience, tips I've found along the way to manage pain, and verses that have encouraged me. That's my healthcare solution, friends. It's giving and receiving true health care. Find out about becoming a member at Ministries.org forward slash that sounds fun. That's Ministries.org forward slash that sounds fun. The graphics are beautiful in here. Every chapter, they changed the little picture up in the title. I'm like, that's a fancy author gets, uh, if you're talking about salt, there's a salt shaker by the page number. That's pretty fancy. What experience of this book will you never forget?
1: Mm, gosh, there are so many. I think one of them was going down 410 feet into a salt mine.
0: Yeah, I've never even known that salt mines were that deep. I'm dumb. Right? I'm not dumb. I didn't just didn't know that yet.
1: I didn't either. I thought salt. Ocean, dehydrate, that's it. But yeah. it turns out the salt that when Jesus and the disciples and living in Israel, you know, the salt came from dehydrated from the Dead Sea or the Mediterranean or from the salt mines primarily. Mm-hmm. And so I went down into this salt mine, actually in Utah. Yeah. There's a lot that of salt out. there, yeah. Salt Lake City. And we drive in and it's the, at the back of the property. We're in a truck. And as we enter into this cave of the salt mine, uh, it just turns completely dark except for the the lights of the truck, and I can see there are salt stalactites dripping down from the ceiling, and we start entering this rich, colorful cavern. But it's not bright white; it almost has a pinkish or a garnet, a uh, peach hue to uh-huh. it. And we finally get four hundred ten feet down. We stop, and I crawl out of the truck, and and it smells like the ocean. It's such rich salt, and I, I'm kind of like the Costco sampler. Yeah. So I reach down to try some. Of course, yes, i yes, like, yes. oh, for symbol. Yes, yes, yes. And the salt doesn't taste like anything I've ever tasted, it almost has like a sweet-ish finish to it. Really? And when we walk to the edge of the cave, uh, my host, Neil, he brushes away the the powdered salt that is still... It's it's like snowing salt after the drill has stopped. And he wipes it away and and you can see this peach and this pink and these darker brown sections. And what he says is those are... When salt is mined from its original source, it's mined with the surrounding minerals. And so the red comes from the iron, the magnesium, Ah. the brown. And that's also true if you dehydrate it from the ocean, it's not the form of it's not white. No, it's not the sodium chloride that's been fortified since iodine chemically altered since 1924 with a yes. gal with a you know yellow dress and yes. a little umbrella. We're, yeah. That's not what we're talking about. So when you think about Jesus and there he is delivering the sermon on the mount, he's talking about the salt of the earth. Everybody there knew that he was talking about salt mined with its natural background with its natural minerals. Yes, it, which means to me that you and I, we too have been hewn from a place that has a unique geography, just like mine moving around a ton, like yours, Uh, a unique background, unique parents, unique personalities, unique strengths, weaknesses, gifts, and God wants to use all of that as he calls you and I forth to be the salt in the earth.
0: And almost a little bit, the other thing that comes to my mind when you tell that story is it is okay if you're not this pure white matching thing to everyone else. I think it's preferable there's that there's you're not. There's some Please not yeah, there's just some I'm not talking about skin color. I'm saying as a annie, even the darkest parts of me are a little bit welcome in this.
1: Do you know what's fascinating? I didn't realize it. So my salt miner friend was sweet enough to send me home with several chunks of this salt just raw. Yeah. I actually sit and I, I grind it myself. I was salt. about to say, do you like just oh. scrape it off? Well, actually, you take a hammer and a window screen. Oh, it's a whole cool. like, like I'm pounding my own salt <laughs> for our house now, which is a little weird and awesome all at the same time. It's super awesome. But what he pointed out is you can see these chunks of salt and they've got these dark brown areas. And he says that is those are the portions that the chefs love the most because those are the portions of salt that will bring out the Highest and the lowest notes in the dishes that they're cooking, oh, and so cooks desire that. And so when you think about hiding your darker, no, 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 no. The ultimate chef God, the creator of all, is saying, no, no. no do you not know that is the very thing that I want to use?
0: Yes. Oh, that's to reveal really good. the flavor of
1: my son Jesus Christ to this right. world.
0: Right, and I think an important thing for our friends listening to know, is uh, one of my problems with a lot of the books about food and faith are trying to tell me to diet. Mm-mm. And you're not saying this. <laughs> this is like, come and love these foods and no. hear about them. Yeah. No,
1: I think it traces back to what you said before. You know, people And I know they're doing it out of a place of love, but it can feel like judgment. Well, you sure. ate that cinnamon roll, right. and you're like, but you don't know what's from Dollywood. Right, right right, <laughs> right, right, exactly. And what I began to see, and I've struggled with food issues my whole life. I mean, I don't want the brownie. I want the whole pan. Yes. I don't want a scoop of ice cream. I want the whole carton. Right. And, you know, put on a di- first diet at nine years old. have struggled with that. And for me in the process of writing Taste and See, it caused me to pull a seat back from the table and look at food from God's perspective. Mm. And what I began to see is that since the very beginning, God has been using food as a redeeming invitation to encounter him. Oh, that's interesting. So even in the garden, I think that the original couple did not just talk and walk with God, but they noshed and they nibbled. Mm. And even after eating a, a forbidden piece of fruit, right? Yeah. I- ironically, God keeps using food in order to draw people's hearts back to himself. I mean, when Jesus comes, here's the very son of God. And what's he doing? He's revealing himself as stuff. Bread of life, true vine, Messiah, the one who is literally dripping in oil in order to communicate his heart and his passion. And when this whole shindig goes down, we are going to gather at the biggest, best banquet of all time, the marriage supper of the Lamb.
0: I mean, I've never thought about that fruit was our downfall and Jesus and communion was our salvation. Exactly.
1: Until you just said that to me. Isn't it amazing that That's literally bread and even in the Passover story, yeah. the bread and the wine, the bread and the wine, constantly the cups, if you do the Passover in a Jewish family, and then Christ has, you know, this is how you will remember me is with food. Mm. And so there is this, and it's also interesting if you trace back to Genesis, uh, I think if you look at the story of Eve, she took and she ate. And what does Jesus say? Take and eat. Margaret, he does. Oh my gosh. And so in Revelation, it describes that moment. Jesus says he's knocking on the door of our hearts. And what does he want to do? Does he want to come in and do a repo or renovation? No, no, no. He Mm -hmm. wants to come and share a meal to sup with us. And so we start to come around the table with a different perspective of not, this is about fuel for me to consume. But this is God's redeeming invitation that when we gather around the table, I've been basting in the book of Acts during the season of Pentecost. Yeah, And what I'm seeing is, Christ is first of all. If you look at the story of Jesus, he's either coming from a meal, eating a meal, going from a meal when he's not multiplying a meal. Like it is his, it is his M.O. is yes, all about the meal. Yes. Acts happens. It's around the table constantly that the Holy Spirit is showing up. Yeah, and and as the saints gather around, and so why would you and I gather at a table with any lower expectations that right. the very Son of God, that the power of the Holy Spirit wants to show up and do more than just than just have us consume calories because mm-hmm. I think that when you and I, when we eat together, we're hungry for more than perhaps just the just the appetizer or the entree or the dessert. We are hungry yeah. to, to nourish and be nourished, to love and to be loved, to enter that place where it is safe and it is so much love that any sense of shame scurries away. Yes.
0: A few weeks ago a friend and I went to a restaurant he had never been before. And I was so I like begged him. I was like, "Can this be the night that we go and you try this new restaurant?" And so I got to order and I was mm. like, "Oh, we want this and we want this and we want this." And I just don't know if there's a better feeling than watching someone love food. Mm. And and I haven't really connected that to spirituality until this conversation of going like, "Oh, that has something to do with Jesus." Yeah. And with what he already does at a table where two or more are gathered, he's there. For the first time, I, you're drawing these lines for me in my own story of like, oh, one of the reasons I love that is that might be sacred. Mm-hmm. That might be spiritual and not just like, isn't this pizza from true food the best thing you've ever had?
1: Yeah. One of the things that has happened to me in the writing of Taste and See, both the book and the Bible study is the way that we invite people over to our own table. Uh-huh. And so, one Which of- I don't, by the way. Is that weird?
0: Really? Yeah. Why not? My house feels like one of the only places that other people aren't.
1: Oh, interesting.
0: I think I'm off on that. I think mm. I don't know why my house feels like this, like a cave, a little bit.
1: Annie, can I come over and can we throw a dinner party one night? Yes. Okay. I'll say yes to that. Okay. I yeah. don't. I don't ever do it, but yeah. I would say yes to that. We will create a safe space for you. Yeah. And for the guests, <laughs> okay. like we can we can do all of that. Okay. And it will be lovely and delicious okay. and fabulous. Let's do it. Okay. What, so what?
0: Yeah. Because yeah. what is it about having people over?
1: Well. For for us, I used to have people over and it was like a chance to get to know people and maybe see uh-huh. them and blah, blah, blah. And I've just taken on more of a spiritual dimension. So uh, when people come over to our house, we live in the West, so we ask you to take off your shoes, which I think is more common in the West maybe than the South. I don't know. Do no, we our- don't ever take our shoes yeah. off in people's houses. Yeah, and we do not want your mud in our house. So yes. yeah, we're just gonna yeah. we get a lot of dirt out yeah, there. Yeah, because y'all
0: have been outside doing things. We've gone from if it's July, we've gone from building to car to <laughs> building because we don't want to be sweating. From air conditioner to air yeah, conditioner. yeah, 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 yeah. So
1: our shoes are fine. Yeah. We just got off the muddy trails. We're a little Yeah, worried. y'all are different. So we we have you take off your shoes, which is a little bit disarming, mm-hmm. and then we set out a huge charcuterie boards, salamis and cheeses and crackers in the kitchen on our island because we know the kitchen is the heartbeat of the home. Gather around, assortment of beverages, enjoy that time together. And then when we eat, we don't eat at the dining room table. We actually eat in our living room. And we have this long table uh, in the center of our living room. And some people sit on the floor. They'll sit Uh on the couches. Uh, If it's the summer, we'll sit outside on the porch. But what we're trying to do is create a sense where you are truly at home. Or you're disarmed. Sometimes sitting at a formal dining room table makes people feel a little more boxy. The conversation yeah. more. tell me about the weather, talk about right, right, and, right. And then some, and so I want to create a space where it's it's more organic and natural. Yeah. Now before everybody comes over, I will spend time praying for each person coming over. Really? Sometimes when people are coming over, they'll say, "What can I bring?" And if it's a, if it's somebody who's in deep in their faith, I will say, "The only thing I want you to bring is your prayers and mm. the expectation that the Holy Spirit is going to show up in a powerful way tonight." Oh my gosh. And that's brilliant. And then somewhere during the night I will I will ask this question and based on who's in the room I'll shift it a little bit for the language of where they are in their spiritual journey and I'll ask, where do you notice the divine, the higher power, Jesus, the holy spirit moving in your life recently? Mm. And it is amazing how all of a sudden that will unlock the conversation to a deeper level. And, and as people start to share their hearts and that sense of knowing and being known, and maybe it's the lack of God showing up anywhere, mm-hmm. all of a sudden, it's not just about the weather and the more shallow conversations, but unlocking that intentionality of a deeper spiritual conversation. And I used to I used to have meals, and I'll be honest, before I did this, you know, we'd have people over, maybe we'd have a dozen people over, let's just, you know, or share a meal at a sure. restaurant, whatever. Yes. And I would say maybe one or two of those, you know, was, they were all great. They were all delightful, fun. They yeah. filled our you know, relational needs. But as far as that spiritual, when you walk away and you're like, that was so good. Yeah. might happen one or two out of 12. And now we're seeing it happen 8, 10, oh 11 out of 12. Just with those little intentionalities of disarming people when they come in so that they feel at home. Yeah. Also, one more thing. I leave a mess. I leave at least one pile of a mess when everybody comes over, and it's on our table, and everybody sees it, and it's oh, all wow. the receipts, all the junk, okay. because there is a tendency when we invite people over, to want to have the house clean. Really it up. clean. That's and exactly no. right. I want, when you walk into my home, to feel like you can totally be yourself. I have messes, mm. and I just leave it as my little sacred mess pile.
0: Oh, brilliant. Yesterday, the pest guy came through my house, and they because I live in a condo, they just can go into everybody's house, and I hadn't cleaned up. I, didn't, I just didn't, I mean, I know this will shock you, I just didn't remember he was coming that day. I'm talking my bedroom looked like my closet had barfed. I mean, it was (laughs) – and I got home and I was like, someone saw all this. What does that make me feel? It makes me feel weird that I – you know, but then you go like – it's this of like – but they know I'm a human. Yeah. And they know it's simple. And uh, when I used to live in Scotland, you always take your shoes off as well Mm. when you walk in. And it does – it is a disarming sort of Mm – the first few times you're like, oh, gosh, I didn't even think to – what, what are my socks and do I have on socks and what are they going to, and then you're like, it, by, by the time you've lived, it's just like, yeah, you, you take your shoes off. Everybody's barefoot. Everybody's barefoot. yeah And you just don't, socks become an invitation to vulnerability. Yes. That I didn't know when I lived it only in America. Yeah. So maybe, I, okay, so we'll make them take their, you know who does this really well yeah. is our mutual friend, Carrie Allen. Mm. Carrie has, makes beautiful charcuterie plates. Mm. She, she has big trays and she'll just put it in the middle of the table and everybody just kind of sits down and just talks and And I just uh I don't know that my life is shaped very well for that currently, so next time you're here okay let's we'll let's do, let's, let's do some reshaping, yeah, um, I think the other important thing part of what you're saying is it doesn't cost you any extra money or any extra time to have that kind of dinner versus. Any other kind of dinner? No,
1: and there's an amazing store called Costco. Yeah, <laughs> same club, BJ, whatever, whatever your thing is, yeah. you know, Walmart, whatever, and and to go and to buy, you know, a thing of nuts, and and the great thing is like charcuterie. People are like, it's so complex. Uh, no, you buy three dollars worth of this cheese, three dollars worth of this cheese, three dollars worth of this meat, and a couple things of nuts and some fig jam, and you're done. And so that's it's it. so, and and then whatever's left. You can use it the next day or you yeah. can use it, you know, the next week or whatever. And so I think that, that recognizing that this is easy, this is accessible. And you know what? If you can't cook, get takeout. Yeah.
0: I, I'm not – I mean, I can. I don't love it. Mm-hmm. And But do you love it? Well, I mean, Leaf
1: loves it. Leif loves it. Yeah. He's like crazy about it. Um, I enjoy it. I okay. really do. We used to have World War III in the kitchen and now we've learned to cook together. Uh, so okay. it's actually a more beautiful thing. Yeah. But um, I do enjoy cooking. But there are times that it's like, hey, run out, get the takeout. Let's serve it up. You know, done. Something I'm learning in this uh, world of
0: this, you know, this couple of months of migraines and after is that my life just has to slow down a little bit. Not that I have to do less work, but I there just needs to be more space than I've had previously. And even as we're talking about this, I'm going, oh, part of my not cooking is I don't make space mm. for dinner. I mean, I eat dinner, but I don't make space to. I don't give myself an hour to make something. Right. What happens in a kitchen spiritually when you're Mm. cooking?
1: I think there's this acknowledgement. So we live in one of the challenges in our current culture, and I saw this in Taste and See a lot. Was, you know, we live in a a commodified world Mm. in which we are so disconnected from our food food sources. So we buy boxes and plastic containers of food, and and that's just I mean, it just is how it is. But at a certain point, food just becomes fuel. And it's not too long in my hunch and my thinking that if food just becomes fuel, if commodity is what we are consuming, then pretty soon as I sit across the table from you, this is just a commodifying event Uh, rather than a human event. Right. And so when we start to get in the kitchen or, you know, go to the grocery store and slice a tomato. And by the way, one of the things I do in that tactic when people come over is I'll leave something undone just so they say, what can I do? They can slice an slice onion. The tomatoes, they can slice a tomato. Sure. Because again, it's participation. It's humanizing. It's uh, it's this partaking that is yes. so incredibly important. And so I think that as we gather around the table, learning to um, learning to take time to to just cut something. There is nothing like a fresh. Tomato in the summer.
0: Oh, uh, there's nothing like it with salt, just with sprinkled salt. over. Yes. I'll that, eat it like an that apple. you
1: ground up yep. with your hammer yep. and your your screen, <laughs> right, right. <laughs> but that's gonna breathe life and. Um, and, and just something as simple as that and putting it out and people go, it is so good. And so it's not it's not this 17 hours of cooking. I'm talking about like pull out some nuts, slice open some you know tomatoes, pull out some fresh raspberries or grapes or whatever might be in season and lay them out and let people pluck them mm-hmm. and individually touch it with their hands rather than a serving you know, uh, Mm -hmm. always a serving thing, but, but to have some finger foods out, I think it can be incredibly humanizing. That's
0: brilliant.
1: Tell me about eating seasonally. Mm. Do you try to do that? We do. We okay. really do. Uh, we have a very short growing season in Utah where we live. We live in a, a ski town. So yeah. people drive in, um, but we have a farmer's market. We go usually mid-July through uh, September. Uh, we are unusual in that our farmer's market is actually less expensive often than the grocery stores. I know that's not the case in that's many places. That's pretty close here.
0: But, I mean, it you is. get
1: your vegetables
0: and the high season. Our farmer's market in our neighborhood is open This weekend, actually. It starts in May and it goes to October. But you have to watch what they have. But high strawberries, it's
1: cheaper than regular strawberries, high strawberry season. Yeah. And so paying attention, going out, and not just buying but talking to the farmer. How are things going? How's your land? How's your crop? Forming that relationship a little bit more to become intentional. This summer, uh, I am going to invite myself to their farm. They yeah not yet. But I just want to go see what they do and how yes. they do it and what that looks like. Yes. and and so I think being intentional and and for some people going to farmers' markets is really expensive. man, you can still go and buy two apples and support that local yeah. person and the yeah. work that they're doing because yeah. it matters. It really matters. I mean, there are
0: weeks where I buy kale, and that's it. I'll just go buy one stock pack of of kale and then I leave, but because that's all I really need. But it is do you use an app or something? How do you know what's in season?
1: Uh, It's pretty obvious. For me, when I go to the farmer's market, I mean, it is the one or three foods that every single person has an abundance of that they're selling. And so just recognize, you know, early on in the season, it's usually going to be the shoots of the uh, green onions where we live that are amazing. uh, And also the shoots of the fresh garlic that are amazing to cook with and so yummy. Um, So just paying attention throughout the season and and just thinking about that. What about in
0: like November or like in February? How do you know what to eat? Yeah,
1: it gets rough, doesn't it? Yeah. I mean, we're into potato season. We're in right. uh, and you know, and and yet we live in a, a privileged world where we can eat raspberries if right. we're willing to pay the price right. in January. Right. That <laughs> have been flown in from Egypt or yeah. wherever that may be. And so I think there is a balance of trying to eat seasonally, um, stocking up on the incredible spaghetti squash. It's so healthy. I flavor, love spaghetti squash. All those things at the same time as adding um you know, adding in things that we do have the joy of being able to buy. Okay. The come
0: year. So you aren't real like dictator in your own life of like, we cannot have strawberries except in July and in August.
1: No, we are all in a fight for our health. Okay. And so more vegetables, more fruits. The answer is yes, yes, yes. Sign me up okay. all year long. Great.
0: I need that freedom a little bit because sometimes I do feel guilty eating. I know tomatoes are better in July. And then in December, I'm like, oh, but I, I want one. It's not seasonal.
1: Someone grew it. It'll be fine. Okay. I have one word for you a uh, Campari. The Campari tomatoes in the winter are melt-your-face-off good. Really? Yes. And you can find them um, at the grocery store, and they're a little bit smaller, but they're super sweet, super juicy, and that's how I get my deep tomato fix. Ah, okay. In.
0: Yeah, because I just, I mean, I'm not kidding you, and I could eat them like apples. I just love them so much. Just a salt shaker, Himalayan salt shaker with the pink. All the good things. Just get me the pink. All the Um, good things. Yeah, because that's the other amazing thing is that if you use the pink salt, if you use the better ingredients, it actually is literally better for your body yeah it's amazing you're paying for you know my my homeopathic naturopath kind of doctor often says you're paying for it in one one into the other it's you're true. either going to pay for it
1: when you put it in your body, or you're going to pay for it later with your health. It's true. You know, in Taste and See, I went and I spent time uh, with a fig farmer, and I was totally I know, taken probably. by... I didn't realize, first of all, how many times figs appear in the Bible, which uh-huh. is a ton. Jesus talks about them all the time. He curses the fig tree. But he does curse yeah. the fig tree, which is... I've always thought that's such a weird story. And yet it's really about the temple. Mm. It's really about the temple. Mm-hmm. If you look at that that story, he it's before and after he goes to the temple. And so before... You know, they pass by the fig tree. There's no, it, It's. you know, he says it's going to wither. Goes to the temple, sees a system that in essence has withered because it doesn't have the reality of, of it's become religion. Yeah, and, and practice rather than a real relationship with God, and then on the way back we see that the fig tree has withered, and it, it's it's a commentary that Jesus is doing essentially on the temple, which is so rich and beautiful. But I went and spent time with this fig farmer, and I did not realize, like I was never a huge fig per- person. I never had a real live fig before. By the way, I oh. always dried, always dried, never I've fresh.
0: Never had a fresh one. I love dried figs,
1: right? Me I've too. never had a fresh one. Okay. I don't think. It's, it's the most jammy, delectable, fantastic. When they're ripe and perfect, it's, yeah. but they're only ripe uh, that you can get them at a grocery store like about two weeks a year. So it's a very oh my short gosh. time frame. Okay. It's like, run. I'm going to set an alarm this year. Run to Trader Joe's. <laughs> this is your moment. <laughs> But I don't know like a fig has more potassium um, than a banana, more calcium than a cup of milk. Uh, what it, are those two weeks, by the way? What time of year? Uh, usually it's going to be there's a, there's a Breva, the first crop, and then a second crop. Usually it's going to be about the, uh, I want to say the second and third, fourth week of June. Okay, June. So summer.
0: Yep. So we should start. We're getting, we need to pay attention next month. Yeah. Okay. It's coming. Figs it's coming, people. Next month. All your figs. Yeah. Y'all just keep up on Margaret's and I
1: Insta story. We'll be Insta storying our fig love. Yeah. Coming in June. But figs also grow so different than I ever realized than any other fruit. I always thought yeah. about the figs and, the you know, Jesus and all of that. I was yeah. like, cool, cool, it's another fruit tree. And yeah. I didn't realize. That's what I thought. Because he always says, like, pay attention to the times, pay attention to the fig tree. And I thought, what is he talking about? So a fig is different than every other fruit tree in that as it grows, it is completely green, all branches, all the fruit, until okay. about 10 days or seven days before it turns ripe. So literally, if you're not paying attention to a fig tree or a fig orchard, everything will look green until suddenly everything is ripe and ready to pick. Oh, wow. And so Jesus says, pay attention to the fig tree. Yeah. In other words, this is something that you actually have to get up close, you have to touch, you have to reach for, because those figs are tucked underneath the leaves in such a way that generally you're not going to see them from the outside of the leaf. Right. And so in the Old Testament, when God talks about how you and I, uh, we, we are the image of the, the richness of a relationship with God as compared to living, each person living under their own fig tree or under their own vine... If you're living under your own fig tree, it's compared to in the Jewish scholar world of of you have to wake up each and every day because the figs are not ripening all one day. One will ripen one day, two more on the branch, two days later, three days later, maybe two more. And so you're constantly living under this fig tree comparable to the word of God where you wake up each and every day expectant of the fruit that God is going to ripen that you're going to be able to see taste and see god's goodness yeah. through and in that place that fig tree has such huge leaves it's huge and so it's shaded and in a hot nation like israel shade is the game it right, is the where right. we are going and so god in the bible of living under a fig tree is painting this rich imagery of of a a place of provision a place of bounty a place of literally tasting and seeing the sweetness of god as you wake up each and every day so yeah, yummy. You,
0: just, you just can't know that until you know that. Unless you go hang out with a fig farmer. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Or you read Taste and See, where you did the work for us. <laughs> we'll just read it and eat them in June and cry about God's provision and His kindness.
1: I mean, where do you go from here? What do you write next? Ooh, that's a good question. Um, I have been in a place where I've really been thinking about my thought life. Oh, Okay. And just kind of starting to get disciplined in that, I got I had a really dark season, and just was had a friend who said, um, "You know, Margaret, I think you've made agreements with the universe that are simply not true." Oh wow! And I was like, "And drop the mic." Yeah, serious. And so went through a couple of days of just saying, "God, where have I done this?" And I'm yeah, so sorry. Yeah. And how do I realign myself with what is true and beautiful and good? Yes. And so I'm thinking about maybe doing a little devotional. Okay, kind of ties into that, and yeah, um, that's beautiful, and helps we people. Need that. Yeah. Yeah. Think more clearly and more sharply about who we are, because when we have the right mindset, um, just like taste and see, um, we we start to, I think, live better lives. Yeah, and more. And selective. you and
0: Jonathan are still going to be doing your
1: right, brilliant. Woo-hoo. Ooh, yes. yes, we are doing one in July. Yeah, assuming it isn't sold out by the time people hear this. I know, right? We're yeah. we're getting really close. Uh, Houston, in July. Beth Moore is a guest speaker. I we've know, got it's amazing. I know we've got an um, incredible editor for the Houston Chronicle who's going to yeah. be there. We've got a social media guru who's going to be there. And so tell so, me who,
0: because a bunch of my friends who are listening want to write a book. Yeah. Where should they be in that process for write brilliant to be right for them?
1: You know, we've created a, a system that builds on on itself. So okay. it doesn't matter if you are just thinking about writing a book or you've had two books published. Uh, the, the philosophy that we have developed, which is audience-centric, content-driven, is such that we will be able to take you from wherever you are in your writing journey to the next level. Okay, uh, Sharpening your social media presence, your platform, your actual writing, the yeah. words that you choose, the verbs that you're selecting, uh, right down to um, thinking about your big idea, how to lay that out in such a way that it's sharper, clearer, and more effective than it's ever been. Because at the end yeah. of the day, we think that writing is an act of self-sacrifice. Mm. And that it is an act of love, and I think you do that so well in your Thank books, Annie. You. you do that over and over, but it is an act of giving and love. And so, at that, it's about you in the sense that it came from you. But when you're done, we don't want it about you at all. Yeah, that's right. We want it all about loving and serving your audience. Yeah, oh, that's beautiful. That's how we roll.
0: Writebrilliant.com.
1: W-r-i-t-e brilliant. <laughs> yeah. dot com. I can't spell brilliant <laughs> it's today. Too fast. I
0: That's great. Yeah, I, I've partaken of your content. And it is very helpful. So, And there's just nobody doing it. Actually, I'll tell you this publicly. We're copywriting this, so nobody steal it. Someone said to me the other day, Margaret and Jonathan need to do a subscription box Ooh, for nonfiction be writers because so there's subscription fun. boxes for novelists, Ooh. but there's no subscription box currently for nonfiction writers. That's a great idea. And that idea. would be something that I would pay for that as an Annie, even though I'm a dozen books in or whatever. I would pay for... Uh, something that comes to me once a month that gives me some little writing things that's actually mailed to me. So, yeah. That's a great idea. So write brilliant subscription box, copyrighted. Nobody else gets to do it. <laughs> Margaret and Jonathan are going to do it. So how is it working with Jonathan day to day? He's just one of
1: the dearest. He is one of the sweetest. You know, we have just such a long time deep relationship and friendship. Yeah. And we disagree on about 4,763.2 things. Yes, But- I just so appreciate. He is in my opinion the premier religion writer in America. I agree with that. He is I mean anybody his articles, USA Today, New York Times everywhere. He is just at the top of his game. The mm-hmm. quality of his writing, the arguments on both sides that he presents are thoughtful, intentional and it's so beautifully done. Okay, and it's fast. He yes.
0: does all that research and all that writing, and the thing happens today, and we're reading a thoughtful piece from him tomorrow. He's extraordinary. It's, that's, yeah, it's, it's also, unbelievable. Yeah,
1: and so having him at Write Brilliant, I mean, he just brings so much to that and helping sharpen all of us. Yeah. But most of the days, he's just pee your pants fun. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> I agree. He is just one. We
0: when I go to New York and we'll go see musicals and we'll. I mean, we just have the best time. So I think the world of him and I think the world of you. Thank mm. you for
1: doing this today. Uh, Annie, you are pure joy. And thank you. Oh. Thank you for loving your audience so well. Wow. Thank you for loving your listeners, your readers. Thanks. Thank you for pouring out of the richness of who you are, like salt, how you were hewn with mm. your unique personalities, Thanks. gifts, background, and just loving people so well. That was very kind of you to say all that.
0: You're really sweet. One thing about Taste and See that I want
1: people to know, I,
0: said, I mentioned this at the beginning, people quote it all the time. How are people using it on a day-to-day
1: basis, do you just read through it? Yeah. Well, what's incredible is it's designed to go with a six-session DVD Bible study. Oh, good. So fun. So I there's know. a workbook. There's a DVD. And it's fun because in the DVD, oh, Leif and I are in the kitchen. We're cooking recipes. Uh-uh. There's uh, there's sample tasting. So it's such a fun, interactive Bible study. Yes. So literally, as you're reading about the incredible healing properties and how God uses oil in the Bible, you're you're doing an olive oil tasting as your group gets together. Oh, yes. Brilliant. And what I love about it is I it's such an incredible invitation for people. Like some people are like, I'm, I'm nervous about sharing my faith. I don't know how to talk about Jesus. I don't know what this looks like. All you have to do is say, hey, do you want to come over for a few weeks and talk about food and spirituality? We're going to watch some videos and eat some food. Uh, most humans will say, yes, 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 please let me, please let me come to your porch and right. eat and sample food. And sure, I'll watch a little video. And right. and what we're finding is people are, you know, have never darkened the doors of a church, never right. really thought about faith. They're asking other people in the group, hey, will you pray for me? Uh, I don't, I don't know about this faith thing, but I've never heard the story of Jesus before. Yeah, and so it's such an incredible tool to share your faith, non-threatening, light, delicious. It's just, it's just a fun study, what an
0: easy way to do something in the summer. Hey, do y'all want to come over once a week and talk about food and spirituality? Oh, uh, sign me up. Yes, sign right. Me up. So it's really amazing. Oh, that's amazing. awesome. That was really well thought of by you. My, I was in a book club in Atlanta, and every book we would try to eat something mm. that had been represented in the book. Mm. And it was always so fun. And so I love that idea that, that comes with that. That's great. Okay, last question we always ask. Because the show is called That Sounds Fun, and you're a seven, so this is going to be just a treat. What sounds fun to you?
1: Ooh, right this moment? Yes. Mm. Annie, I think we should go to your house. Okay. And we should plan out this dinner party that we're going to host. <laughs> okay. We're going to have the full charcuterie. We're going to talk about, I'm going to find out all your favorite foods and cheeses yes. and what types you like. And then one day we're just going to throw this incredible dinner party. Okay. And we might even invite a, somebody who's listening today. Okay. Oh. A surprise guest. Oh, that would be fun. Does that a listener? Fine? Yes. Oh, okay. Really. I mean, th-
0: could we be more stereotypical seven to go like, you know what sounds fun? Planning fun. <laughs> I love the idea of planning fun. <laughs> Oh, I love you. Thank you so much, Margaret, for being here. You guys, don't you love Margaret? Oh my gosh. That whole conversation about the fig and... The whole conversation about my dinner party I'm going to throw, we're going to figure out a way to get one of you here to be a part of that dinner party because we are going to do that. She's right. I need to just do it. I need to just have people over and feed them in my house. I am looking forward to it. Hey, make sure you follow Margaret on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, all the places, and tell her thanks for being on the show. And hurry and grab a copy of Taste and See. And again, that idea of hosting it with some of your friends and especially your friends who don't believe everything you believe and going through that six-week curriculum sounds really great just asking people in your neighborhood or that you work with if they'd love to come over and talk about food and spirituality what a cool way to invite some people into deeper conversation hey if you need anything else from me i'm embarrassingly easy to find annie f downs f as in food this week annie f downs on instagram twitter facebook all the places if you need me that is how you can find me If you have any friends that you know love to cook, you got to share this episode with them. And if you get a chance to rate and review the show, that would mean a lot. Hey, coming up on Monday is our good friend and one of my actual life heroes, Louis Giglio. And I think you're going to love this conversation. So go out and do something that sounds fun to you. And I will do the same. And we will see you back here on Monday.